okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Here on FM 1017 and 1320, we have high school football on the airwaves tonight. Coming at you with Lawrence High School tomorrow. We've got our KU pregame show out at Big Mill from 8.30 to 9.30. we got KU football tickets to give away. So if you don't have tickets and you're like, oh, no, what do I do? It's sold out. Well, we're going to be giving some away. So You could uh, have the only tickets left available. That's true. Who knows? <laughs> uh, we also have, like, cool KU-related football T-shirts that we're going to be giving away some other stuff, too. So you're going to want to stop by Big Mill. I'll be out there with Scott Chasen for the pregame show, 8.30 to 9.30. Kiss Crew will be out there all the way till 10.30. It's a big mill in the corner of 9th and Mississippi. And then we have your KU game right here on KLWN and KLWN.com with the Crimson Blue Show starting at 9.30, kickoff at 11 o'clock. The wait is over. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Right now, you can get, we talked about some of the player props yesterday, but if you're really confident that KU is going to win big, I actually put something down on this. You can get like an alternate spread where you get higher odds of instead of KU with the line, which is like minus seven, minus seven and a half right now. If you think KU is going to win big, you can get, KU minus 13 right now. I think it's at plus 160. I think I got it the other night at plus uh, minus 13 and a half at plus 190. So I got it at a little bit better odds. But if you're if you're confident they're going to win by two touchdowns, there's a way to to boost your profits a little bit. I have, I have become increasingly confident that that they are going to. So I might have to I might okay. have to join you on that. So if if you do the bet and it doesn't work, blame Nick. Download yeah. the draft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and use promo code KLWN to get two hundred dollars in free bets if your team wins when you place a five dollar bet on any football game. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. Twenty one and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets, one boost per eligible game. Ten plus leg required for a hundred percent boost. Opt in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. KU takes on Duke tomorrow. Battle of a couple 3-0 and teams. Obviously, in Duke's case, their schedule has been less appealing than KU's is to, to get to where they are today. This is going to be a test for the KU defense, not just in terms of can they start better than what they have over the last two weeks. But Duke is a balanced offense. Uh, the quarterback is a dual threat, so that's going to kind of challenge you in its own right. We saw Clayton Toon run for over, I think, 60 rushing yards in the game against KU. And overall, Duke runs for over 200 yards per game. They don't really have that one bell cow like they had last year. Like Mateo Durant was really good last year, ran for over 1,200 yards. They don't have that one guy, but they, they kind of do 
uh, a stable of backs. Like they might have two, three guys, four guys that kind of rotate through, and then the quarterback's going to run a good amount as well. That's going to be the real test to me for the KU defense. Can you stop them, and can you force the quarterback into kind of pass-first situations? So on the point of my confidence regarding this game, did you, have you seen the 30-for-30 the 30 30 from ESPN called Catholics versus Convicts? Yeah. The one about Miami versus Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. There's a clip in there where one of the former players from Notre Dame is talking about Lou Holtz, and he's talking about how during the game week it'd be like, on Monday, Lou Holtz would say, you're the worst team in the world. On Tuesday, like, you might score one point against the opponent. Mm-hmm. By Wednesday, okay, you're kind of decent. By Thursday, you're going to beat the team you're playing. And by Friday, you're the best team of all time, right? <laughs> That's how I'm feeling right now. Like, earlier in the week, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I'm pretty nervous. And now I'm to the point where it's like, you know what? No no worries. No worries. But you're right. Duke does have a balanced running game. And, again, I think at, going into the season, to me, it was going to be clear that the – the quote-unquote new and revamped KU run defense, this was going to be their first real serious challenge. West Virginia tried to run with not a lot of success, but then they had more success in the past, and they were down in the game, so they started throwing. Kind of the same deal with Houston. Houston had more success running the ball than West Virginia did, but Duke is is probably going to try to run the ball and stick to it the most out of any of KU's first four opponents. And they have two pretty good running backs, two guys with size too, Jordan Waters and Jalen Coleman are the two top running backs. And both of them are over six foot, over 200 pounds. So they're some bigger guys as well. But I also think, and actually this was a good point, I thought that Stephen Wiseman made the Duke reporter we had on earlier in the week, talking about how it's possible some of Duke's stats might be a little skewed because they really haven't played anybody. Uh, he mentioned how you know North Carolina A&T ra- ended up racking up a bunch of yards on Duke on, on paper, but the game was already well out of reach at, the, at that point, right? So, And that could be the case with Duke's rushing game, too. Maybe they have a bit more rushing yards because they've been up big in some games. You know, They shut out Temple. They let Northwestern get back in the game, and then they dominated North Carolina A&T. So, I don't know. But, yeah, this is definitely a, a much more balanced offense that KU is going to be facing defensively. And I think from Duke's standpoint, that's – should be their game plan. Their game plan should be possession control, right? I mean, it's the classic case when you've got an offense like KU that is performing to the level they're performing. If you're Duke, why not try to run the ball? It's a weakness. It has been a weakness of KU in the past. And why not try to just play possession, limit the number of possessions in the game, give yourselves a better chance to win. So if I'm Duke, that's probably my strategy based on how KU has performed the first three weeks. Because if this, if this turns into a shootout, I think you and I probably both would – unequivocally take KU, right? They have the much better offense. They have the better quarterback, probably the better coach. If this turns into a back-and-forth offensive game, that, gives that to me, gives KU a significant advantage. Yeah, I mean, everything... Which is, which is something that you would normally not say, by the way. No, no, and it is funny, the, the talk about, you know, playing that possession football because that's how we talked about almost Kansas coming into the year. Like, there's going to be certain times where you might want to play possession. But at this point, it's like, no, like, get up, run, gun. Um, yeah, it's you feel like you have the coaching advantage. You feel like you have the quarterback advantage. As good as the Duke running game has been, you still feel like you'll take your running game more than theirs. Yeah, Duke's offensive line has been really good. So is KU's. Defensively is kind of the one question here. You gave up over 50 points to Duke a season ago. Like, if, if Duke, because their, their head coach, Mike Elko, former really renowned defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, if he's able to devise something that keeps Kansas to 28 points, to 31 points, that's where the danger comes to me because then you're you're basically all out trusting on the defense. And it's not that they can't do it. It's just that we haven't really seen it where they've had kind of like a 
pretty shut down game, right? Yeah, I mean, they shut down West Virginia in the third quarter of that game, and and they played pretty well against Houston, but you're right. They haven't had a game where you feel like they were in control or you feel like every time the opposing offense got the ball that they were going to struggle to score. You never really had that feeling, right? So, And I don't know if you'll ever get that feeling with this KU defense. I mean, you would think maybe at some point they might come together to that point, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, the, the KU defensive line was awesome against Tennessee Tech. They were good against Houston. Didn't really create much push against West Virginia. And so that'll make this game super interesting as well because Duke is that experienced offensive line that has had a lot of success so far this season. And specifically uh, at their left tackle spot going up against Lonnie Phelps, like that's going to be a great matchup there. That that matchup to me, the KU defensive line versus the Duke offensive line, is going to be the one that will most determine the success or the failure of that defense against Duke. And maybe that's where things rest in terms of the game result. It's just, it's also weird because typically when we when we look at KU football games, when we look at KU home games, we haven't typically weighed into that, the the home field advantage factor. Like when we talk about KU basketball, KU's playing someone at home. It seems like whenever we have the caveat of, even if it's a game that like they're playing a team who might be better than them that year, it's like, I mean, yeah, Alan, but they have Alan the outfield house magic, you, right? It gets you 10 points. At exactly. Least. Exactly. It's like, it's the magic of playing an outfield field house. Yes. And we don't ever do that with football for good reason because they haven't really sold. But but now they're sold out. And so should we start approaching? Should we look at this as like, hey, beyond KU probably just being the better team here. Obviously, you never know with college kids. Like on that specific day, Duke could be the better team than Kansas. But I think over the course of time, if you played 10 matchups, Kansas is probably winning seven or eight of them. And if you add in that home field advantage, that should be pretty raucous and should be creating a fantastic environment because this isn't just a sellout. This is the first sellout in a while. I know they keep talking about, well, the first sellout in two years because the Kansas State game, but we know there were a lot of K-State fans there. This is basically the first real KU sellout in over a decade. Yeah, 13 years. So it's not just that the stadium is going to be full. It's that the fans that are there are going to be rabid. The fans that are there are going to be chomping at the bit to make a difference, to make some noise, to create all sorts of issues for the Duke attack. And I think it's almost going to be like a more ravenous fan base or a more ravenous sellout than it would be normally. And so I do think that there will be like a real impact made by the crowd in this game. And we haven't really been able to talk about that with Kansas in the past, and I don't really know how to, like, in the same way as expectations are changing and it's different how we talk about KU and how we should approach them and from what view we should look at them as. It's the same way with this crowd. I, I just I guess I don't know what to expect in terms of how much home field advantage that's going to provide, but it also wouldn't surprise me if it leads to, like, a decisive advantage in this game. I don't know if you saw Dennis Stodd put out a story earlier today about KU and what they've done so far this season, and at the end of the story – there was a quote from Mark Mangino in there, actually, that where Mark Mangino said, "If you win at Kansas, they'll crawl, they'll crawl over nails for you." <laughs> right? Which, which is true. I think, I think there's always been this very, very deep sense of KU is a very passionate fan base. They truly do care, and it's just that it's hard to care when when you have a team that's as apathetic as KU has been over the past decade, right? But there's there, I don't think there's ever been any denying that there are a lot of people that, that truly do care deeply 
about KU football. And if they're and I mean, if there's any semblance of 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 real upward trajectory, they're gonna show up and they're they're probably gonna be loud. Like like you said, they're probably gonna be fired up about it. Especially when you consider I mean, think about it this way. Now you're talking about over a decade of, of pent up hope, basically, just waiting to burst out, right? Like like in a weird way, it's almost it'll make people even more rabid, right? Because they've been so they've been so starved of having this opportunity to to cheer on a team that they care about, and I think that's kind of been lost. Is like obviously KU's been the punching bag for so long in football, but, but like I said, I, I think I think if you ask if you go around, there's there's a lot of KU fans that are very passionate and really do care. And now that there is a product that they feel hopeful about, they're showing up because we've seen it. Like even when they were hopeful with less miles coming in. Attendance was up. Then you look at the Tennessee Tech game, week one, 37,000 for Tennessee Tech. That's a lot of people for Tennessee Tech, for KU football, right? And now obviously a sellout for, for Duke. So it just kind of circles back to there, there's there's definitely been this underlying current of people that, that truly care about the program and have just been really begging for any reason to to show that support. And now it seems like they're out and almost in a, almost in the sense of like the cat's out of the bag and it may not go back in, right? Like the the the, the fan base might be here to stay for now with I've, what Lance Leipold's doing. Yeah, I, I think that was a really good way of putting it, that there's all this like pent-up energy, that it's even more impactful than a regular sellout. So yeah. that's going to have an impact on this game. It's, it's hard for it not to. And I think that is exciting to see how much that truly does move the needle here. And it's, it's just one of those things where I think every reason that I'm giving myself of why Duke could win this game or why it could be a really close game, it's it's not it's not like football reasons. You know what I mean? Like every reason that you would give yourself is, oh, the expectations have, have gotten to them or yep. the other shoe is going to drop or, you know, things are getting to their head and they're going to be overconfident coming into this game or they're going to overlook the opponent. Because when you're just looking at the football sense, again, Duke is 3-0. They rank really well in a lot of statistics. They've also played a terrible schedule. Northwestern just lost to Southern Illinois last week. Uh, they beat an 0-3 FCS team to Duke. And their other win um, is over uh, Temple. What should we call it? Yeah, yeah, Temple, who's Temple. like projected to be really, really bad <laughs> in the American <laughs> Athletic Conference. So, like, nothing about the schedule jumps out there. And even then, like, yes, they're beating... In the case of Temple, they beat them pretty easily. In the case of NCA and T, like they beat them pretty easily, but they're not like beating them sixty to nothing, like what Alabama is doing or, or what Kansas is is completely honest, like done in some of this regard. So there's no reason you go back over like what we we're saying. You like Lance Leipold over Mike Elko. You like Jalen Daniels over their quarterback. You like the KU running backs over the Duke running backs. You like the um, you know. I don't know, just some of the ability of having the home field advantage over what Duke will obviously have in this game. There's there's so many football reasons to just point to KU in this game and say, yeah, there's no reason this should really even be you know, a, a game that you sweat too much. You should be able to win this by even two scores. Yeah. You should be able to win this by maybe three scores if you play a good game. It's just in the back of your head. You still do have those things. And, and that's maybe the most exciting part about this game. It's not just if you win this game, because we've been saying this all week, that if you win this game, it's going to really start to feel real that you can almost touch the bowl game, right? But it's that if you win this game, this feels like the last opportunity this season where you would really be like, 
okay, they're going to fall back to normal of what we're used to KU football. Yeah. If they win this game, I don't I don't think we're having that conversation anymore. Maybe. I think there probably will be some maybe more pessimistic fans that might still be having that conversation. And and it's hard not to be, right? Like like can you blame it? Can you blame a KU fan for still maybe guess, having that mentality? I guess it's expectations because for me if you win this game the rest of the way you're you're you might be favored in a couple, but for the most part, you're going to be like underdogs. So, like, if you lose any of the remaining games after this one, it's kind of like, okay, well, we were kind of expected that to be the case. Whereas with this one, this would be the old-fashioned of KU losing to an FCS team where it's like you had opportunity in front of you or here was your chance to, you know, I, I guess maybe build some positive momentum or to not mess up, and you did mess up. And well, that, that's kind of the one thing. Well, to your point, I think, I think Lance Leipold maybe alluded to this a little bit. It's like, the position that KU was in, KU cannot afford to overlook anybody. Like they don't like it's they don't they don't have that right. KU does not have that right to overlook anybody because of where they where they're coming from, right? So they they every week it needs to be the exact same. And again, and it goes back to that consistent messaging, which which we've talked about a lot this week is that that messaging is clearly seeped through to all parts of the program of this consistency of this is what we're gonna do every week. Craig Young during his media availability said, you know, we're just we're trying to go one and zero every week, right? And you can say that, but you get the sense that it's truly felt and meant within this program. Starting and it starts with Lance Leipold, obviously. So that that is something that is very it's really piqued my interest. And and again, I, I don't think KU is in a position where they have a right to overlook anybody. I mean, there's still, as you said, there's still probably going to be underdogs in a majority of their games, right? Like. Let's say they let's say they beat Duke and and they beat Iowa State. You would think they'd be favored at that point against TCU at home, probably. But are they going to be favored against Oklahoma on the road, against Baylor on the road, against Oklahoma State at home? Probably not. They might they if they're depending on their record, they might be favored against Texas Tech on the road, but maybe not. They probably won't be favored against Texas, and they probably won't be favored against Kansas State either. So you're right. You're looking at one, maybe two games the rest of the way after after Duke. Where you're, if you're KU, you're going to be favored to win, which I think is great. Keep that chip on the shoulder, you know, like keep that going. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. By the way, you taking KU minus seven and a half? I have not placed a wager yet, but I am considering. All right, I am. I, I've been, I've Make been it official. I've been a mush lately, so I don't know. I might. <laughs> I might okay. just abstain. I don't know. Uh, we're going to take don't a time wanna, out. I don't want to jinx it. When we come back, we got some player audio to get to you. Brandon McAnderson will join us in about 20 minutes. This is RCST. Joined now by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear the action starting here tomorrow right here on KLWN and KLWN.com with pregame at 930 and kickoff at 11 o'clock. BMAC, you'll be able to hear him on that. So, BMAC, you've been at Memorial Stadium for a sellout before uh, playing in, in that. What what kind of boost does that provide, uh, do you think? And, and what are kind of the expectations you have for what the atmosphere is going to bring with a sellout for the game tomorrow against Duke? Man, I just get butterflies thinking about it, to be honest with you. There's just something... You know, as a as a radio broadcaster, I've not had the experience, and boy, I can't wait. Uh, because on the field, you know, you're you play you played in front of I played in front of so many sellout crowds that I kind of took it for granted. You know, we played in a lot of forty thousand plus environments on the road and at home. Um, I'm just very interested to see what it feels like on the sideline. I know as a player, you know, there were these little ways that uh, could really boost us. I remember special teams. 
I don't know, just took on a more significant purpose because we had to rip his, you know what, head <laughs> off. Uh, that always felt good, and the pregame going into the kickoff, like man, Derek, that was that was something. That was one of my favorite parts. It's just the opening kickoff, and then third downs, our big plays on defense. You know, I'll never forget uh, blocking that. I can't remember who blocked that punt now. I think it was Eric Butler, maybe. Blocked a punt against Nebraska the first time we beat them in a long time. I think we beat them 40-15. to 15. Um, There were two plays in that game that really just fit in my memory. One was a blocked punt um, by Eric Butler, and the other one was I think Kevin Kane scored a touchdown. I don't know if it was a pick six or a scoop and score, but he scored a touchdown. What I loved was third downs and uh, how loud the crowd got and when they used to toll the bell when we made a big play on defense. You know, because a lot of people toll their bells when when they make big plays on defense, but a lot of people don't have a giant bell right next to the stadium like Kansas does. So it's uh, those are the two things that I've really enjoyed. So I'm curious then, like, because uh, as, as a player, I, I feel like, like I, I guess, how noticeable is the crowd noise? Is it something where clearly when when you're on the sideline? it's noticeable, but when you're on the field, is it something where you're just kind of so locked in that it's not that big of a deal or, or how much does that kind of provide when you're, I guess, in a visiting environment, when you were playing on the field and they were super loud, like how much did that affect things for the offense? I think for us, <clears throat> when, uh, in our, my senior year, we're going out to Texas A&M, you know, it's 80,000 and it's blaring. Uh, we didn't have, we had a lot of nonverbal communication in our system um, so it ended up not being a huge deal, except when we wanted to change the play. I know one of the ways we changed the play was in our cadence with a live color and trying, you know, like you say red seven, but let's say this week the live color is green or blue or something. Um, it It's hard, you know, because that's the actual check. And the offensive line in our system used to have to hear the check to where everyone else got the hand signals. So that part of the communication became very tough. But we used so much silent count that cadence wasn't a huge deal. Shotgun kind of loosens up some of those requirements. So there are impacts, and it's usually within you know trying to change stuff in real time that makes it difficult. Well, I'm certainly excited for what the uh, crowd is going to look like tomorrow. That should be uh, super fun and, and super cool to, to hear all the noise that, that they're creating. Uh, one thing that I found interesting so far, so and this has been – partially because of he only had four carries in the first game. And also, they've had such a balanced rushing approach with Devin or, or Daniel Hyshaw getting a lot of carries, Jalen Daniels uh, taking a big load of uh, running plays himself. But Devin Neal right now has under 30 carries through three games. Do you think that's that's a bit of a concerted effort by the staff to try to keep him fresh over the course of the season with the way that last year finished where he got injured at the end of the season? I don't. I, I just think it's the way the game's been called. You know, the first game you got to throw out because that was a game they knew they were going to win, and I think they wanted all of their running backs to get there, you know, to have something to, to hold on to from that game, and he got his first. You know, he got the big run early, and then he had the big run in the third quarter, so he was kind of done after that. Uh, West Virginia, you know, I don't think there was any, you know, anything in the schematics that took him out. You know, I don't know how much he ran the ball in that game. He ended up, you know, being productive, scoring touchdowns. Um, and then Houston, Houston's defensive ends were trying to take the running backs away. Yeah, that, that's why Jalen Daniels had so many yards rushing. Um, and this is something I mentioned uh, on air is that they, 
they were clearly running what's called a dive game, which is the defensive end takes a running back, and then they wrap someone, like a linebacker, for the quarterback. The problem for Houston is that Kolonicki was wrapping a tight end to block the wrap player. So that's why Jalen Daniels had so much room uh, once he pulled the ball on that edge. So I think that was more of schematics because those are, I mean, if you ask an offensive coordinator, those are called run plays. You know, it's not like they're not trying to get him the ball. It just so happens that the read dictates who gets it. So that, I wouldn't look too much into it. Uh, the transfer portal was clearly kind to KU this offseason. Bunch of players on the two deep and in certain regards, players starting, having big roles. I've been super impressed with what Dominic Pooney has done on the offensive line, obviously Craig Young and, and some others. But I, I've also found it interesting that when you go across the board, the biggest reasons, again, it's not everyone, but some of the biggest reasons for KU's success and turnaround, it hasn't just been about adding all these guys. Like Jalen Daniels was already in the program. Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, they were already in the program. Their receivers already in the program minus, you know, whatever, uh, like Doug Emelian or something like that. Like tight ends already in the program. You go down the line and a majority of what's happened here for KU is just about the guys that were already here improving on their play. I guess what does that tell you about this group of players? What does that tell you about this coaching staff and their ability to kind of develop? Man, I'm going to make a a very grandiose statement. (laughs) It feels to me like Kansas football, it could potentially change the way that we look at college football and evaluation of players. And the reason I say that is because I played in a system with Coach Mangino where literally everyone was expendable, and they wanted you to know that the whole time you were there. You know, it was constantly, we will replace you, there's someone else, that kind of thing. Um, That's not what they're doing. You know, they're doubling down on investing in the player, and I think this is from, you know, their Division three success, you know, you're just not looking at NFL for every player. You're looking at, you know, individual person enrichment, making the player better, that sort of thing. I think there we are on the precipice of something special here because it's not simply that they got a whole bunch of transfers and they came in and played because Jacoby Bryant is a starter. He wasn't, he's not a transfer. Melo Dawson's not a transfer. OJ Burroughs is not a transfer. Kenny Logan is not a transfer. Uh, Taiwan Berry, he'll beat out a, you know, a, uh, all Sunbelt linebacker and Lorenzo McCaskill, you know, th- these things happen because of the performance of these people. Think about someone like Gavin Potter, who is a three-year starter, comes in this year, gets beat out by Craig Young. He's competing on special teams like a maniac. Every time he gets a rep, he's playing as hard as possible. He, he gets in goal line packages, does some blitzing. Like, And this was a guy that at some point was thinking about leaving and they convinced to stay. So to me, it shows that they are so committed to the people on the roster, and it's not simply about, oh, let's replace this person. It's about, we want you here. We need every person here, and that's why I've been so impressed with them. They did not lose any significant players in the transfer portal coming off a two-win season. I think they're kind of rewriting how these coaches and programs should evaluate their athletes and treat them and invest in them uh, because you can see their team reaping the benefits. It's not just that they're winning games. It's that they went from two and ten to building depth. Like I don't even know how that's possible. You know, if you looked at their one of the things that fascinated me was the Tennessee Tech game where all those transfers were in in mop up duty. You know, and you have four and five year players that have been all conference at other schools and that shows you just how much how improved everybody is across the board and how involved everyone is across the board. For, I mean, Jalen Daniels had eleven completions to eleven different people. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 
The defense has figured things out as the game has gone on, but obviously it's been a bit of slow starts for the last two games. How much of that do you think is fixable to start off the game for this week? I think it's entirely fixable. You know, if you looked at the Houston game, something that's hurt this defense from day one has been the screen game. That's something they just need to improve on. You know, they've not been very aware and alert. They've missed tackles on the edge in that area. West Virginia hit them big on screens. Houston hit them big on running back screens and tunnel screens. So you got to imagine that they're going to get a healthier dose, dose of that throughout the season. A lot of the Houston early success was that. Uh, and then they had a big run as well. I don't know if it, I don't know what it is about the starts. I I do wonder about <clears throat> them having so many players at their disposal. It seems like they can fix it without making adjustments. They can just substitute. You know, they end up the forty-yard touchdown run that uh, that they broke down the right sideline. They simply just subbed Kenny Logan, uh, moved him to free safety, brought in Marvin Grant, moved him to strong safety because he's he's better at run fits. He's more aggressive in the box. And it was fixed. <laughs> they didn't give anything else up in the run. Actually, on that following drive, Kenny Logan got that interception that kind of turned the game upside down. So it's just a matter of, like, can they find the right combination of people just because they have so many of them? You know, like, I feel like their defensive line has 12 starters. It doesn't even matter who's in. Everyone's affected. So I think sometimes it's a matter of just getting the right mix of people in. Sometimes it's, it's uh, fit. You know, versus, hey, do we match up well with this team, with these people, with with this personnel grouping? So there's a lot of things that Coach Borland has at his disposal to, to get these things fixed, and I, I have full confidence that he will. Craig Young is always just such an intriguing player for me that you have this guy, that giant, running that fast and doing things that he does athletically. And, and we heard from Brian Borland earlier this week, and he talked about how we had him in the slot a lot, and he was pretty much covering you know, whatever they were putting out in the slot, which in a lot of cases with Nathaniel Dell, who's like a really good receiver, uh, how much does having a guy like that, like having one of those just, I guess, physical freaks that can be so versatile for a defense and allow you to kind of stay in a base package while also being able to, like, play pass defense, how how much does does that open up what you can do defensively? So, you know, the the good example of why a guy like Craig Young is important is Kansas' offense. You'll see Kansas have offensive sets where they have three running backs and a and a tight end, or two running two running backs, two tight ends, or you know all these different heavy formations. And Kansas has been able to use those formations to kind of spread the ball around, maybe run, maybe pass, do some screen play action stuff. Craig Young is the answer to that idea of how to play offense. If you have someone that is athletic enough to guard a small slot receiver, one of the best in the country like Tank Dell, and then be able to flip and play outside, play weak side linebacker to heavy looks, then you just don't have to sub as much. You don't need to constantly be switching in a nickel. Because you see, when we play nickel, we play Kalen Gervin at that spot. Now, he's not one to pick on either. I think because that guy can really tackle and he's strong. But usually that guy that's playing that, that hybrid spot has got to be able to cover and has got to be able to tackle. And when you have someone like Craig Young, you have both boxes checked. So you always feel comfortable no matter what formation or personnel grouping you're seeing. KU takes on Duke once again. Uh, I'm going to have a pregame show at Big Mill with Scott Chase at 8.30. Then Crimson and Blue kicks off with BMAC at 9.30. And kickoff is at 11 o'clock here at here on KLWN. So KU taking on Duke tomorrow. 
Uh, I, uh, wh- what are some things that jump out to you on tape about Duke? We have kept hearing all week about how they're a disciplined, well-coached team and, and all those things. So what kind of sticks out to you about the Blue Devils? Well, the defense has performed well. They've been a good defense. They've been solid. They've been sound. And they've executed what they've wanted to do really well. Um, and I know their defensive numbers are really impressive, but their defense is not going to be better than West Virginia or Houston, in my opinion. They'll be much different. They won't have as good a personnel, but they'll be solid. They'll be able to do their jobs, and they'll be able to make it hard on you because that's what they've done in every game they've played. I've been impressed with their offense. I like how I like how they use their receivers. I like how they, they use motion pre-snap, um, and they've been efficient. You know, They've been able to get what they need out of the run game when they need it and get what they need out of the pass game when they need it. Um, I've been pretty impressed with their – You know, they were a good offensive team last year. So, I mean, it's not a surprise, but uh, the continuation from them – being strong on offense has continued. Well, you've obviously lived the the college athlete life of, of when things are going well, and you know we we hear it when when you ask different athletes and stuff, they're they're going to give you the right answer of no, we're just focused on the game ahead, and you know we're not letting anything get to our head. And and for some guys and and for some teams, that is the truth, and and they are able to do that. But there's other teams that you know they might say it, but it might not be something that they're actually able to live that way. So do you think that's going to be a challenge at all for this team? The idea of kind of following up from these three strong performances. And and now you have all this kind of hype building around the program for a lot of these guys, which hasn't necessarily happened in their time at KU. Is that, is that a worry for you at all about maybe some of the, I guess, off the field stuff, so to speak? I guess we'll see. You know, I don't want to say definitively that it won't be this or it will be that. You know, because it is different. But what I'll say is that the teams that I played for, we handled it well because, you know, we were we had a chip on our shoulder the size of the stadium. You know, so it was constantly like a feeling of being disrespected and overlooked. And that drove us, you know, to be great no matter what the circumstances were around us. Even when people were telling us how great we were, we could find one media pundit that was, telling, was, was saying the opposite. So that was kind of our motivation. The reason I'm not worried about these guys is because they don't operate like that. It, it's, it, when they were losing, they didn't lose confidence in each other. And the reason I was so excited about them this year and so high on their uh, ability to achieve is that uh, how connected they were and how much they believed in themselves. I mean, if you, you've heard these guys talk. You know, it's not a uh, – they're not selling anything. They're not, they're not playing a media game. They truly believe in each other, and they go out there and play like that. They're fully connected. So they're not a group that I worry about uh, the success making things more difficult for them and, and making them lose focus. The last thing I got for you, based on what you've seen with Duke and the matchup at hand here, is there a player for KU that you think is best suited to have a big game on Saturday? Oh, best suited to have a big game. You know, I, um, I'm interested to see how, how they treat Kobe Bryant. Um, Houston didn't mess with Kobe at all. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if they threw the ball his way more than once. I think they've been very cognizant of how he likes to jump rounds. And there's two ways to look at that. A coaching staff may come in and look at Kobe and say, you know what, we're going to hit him with double moves. We're going to throw over his head because he likes to sit on things, and we're going we're gonna to challenge him. Or they could come in and say, look, we, you know, we're going to go away from him and try to find something, you know, something on other parts of the field. You saw Houston uh, win at Melo Dotson. That wasn't very successful. <laughs> you know, other than their screen game, it wasn't as if they were throwing the ball down the field you know, and consistently making plays. So I love our two young corners because they're long, they're aggressive, and they're confident. Um, but Kobe Bryant's a guy that sticks out to me because, you know, they're not going to stay away from him forever. Someone's going to decide 
that they want to challenge him. And if they do, you know, the results have been good for the Kansas defense, and I hope they do choose to do that. He is Brandon McAnderson. You can hear him again on the call tomorrow with the Jayhawk Radio Network right here on KLWN. Pre-game 9.30, kickoff at 11 o'clock. Former Orange Bowl winning running back Brandon McAnderson. BMAC, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for having me. That was Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Once again, tomorrow's schedule, 8.30 to 9.30. I'll be with Scott Chasen at Big Mill. Come by. We're going to spin our prize wheel. You can get free goodies from KU shirts to KU football tickets and all sorts of other cool stuff. Uh, then at 9.30, Crimson Blue Show takes over with BMAC. At 11 o'clock, kickoff for KU and Duke right here on KLWN and KLWN.com, your original home and flagship for the Jayhawks. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in, four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. And 1320 KLWN, Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. We have our game picks coming up shortly. We're going to get uh, onto our sports stock market in the 5 o'clock hour. Some more KU football audio to get to you as well. The Chiefs take on the Colts, though, so we'll get to that in just a second. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. The Chiefs take on the Colts, and the Colts have been terrible to start the season. They they tied with the Texans, and honestly, they were lucky to get a tie. That that was all <laughs> Texans through most of that game, and then they had a crazy comeback, just even forced the tie, and then they just get stomped by the Jaguars 24 nothing on the road, which that's been a weird thing for them. I think yeah, it's now Jaguars, nine straight they've lost. The Jaguars have their number. Yeah, I don't it's know weird. what's up with that, but... Yeah, that's what kept them out of the playoffs yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah, I was going to say, they, mm-hmm. they stomped them last year in that game also. So there's something weird It wasn't there. even close. But this is now two games for them. They've not looked good. Matt Ryan has really struggled so far. It seems like whenever the defense has gotten even like an iota of pressure, he has just kind of folded, and it just has not looked good for him. It, it does make you wonder because, you know, Matt Ryan was a, a solid quarterback. He was never like... He won that, an MVP. He did. He did. He won an MVP, but he was never like on the tier of like Aaron Rodgers or, or he was he was right borderline top ten. I would say. Oh, he, I would he definitely was probably say. in like the eight to twelve range. Yes, hundred percent. He while. was. Yeah, I mean, if you win MVP, you're for sure top ten for for that specific moment in time, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe even closer to top five. I'm just he was never you know Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, like that kind of nope. insane tier. And I've always thought that. Because of that, like because of that peak that we saw, like this would be a perfect fit for him. I thought you have a good running game, you have uh, some really good offensive linemen on there, good defense, and it just has not worked out. But it, this has become the story of the Colts, man. Mm-hmm. They bring in veteran quarterbacks where you think, oh yeah, it's the perfect fit, and then they don't work. Like Philip Rivers, I thought with Carson Rivers Wentz, it did okay. Car- Carson I mean, went the playoffs; they almost beat the Bills. But yeah, Carson okay. Wentz did not work, and now and now Matt Ryan. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to think. You know, and like Carson Wentz, he's gone to Washington and it hasn't been that horrible, I don't think. I mean, he hasn't been good, obviously, but he hasn't been I don't think he's been that bad. But yeah, I don't know. It's just uh it's a it's a curious case for the Colts. And again, the Colts, I think by virtue of the rest of their division, I it's been the Titans, I guess, in recent history, but by virtue of the rest of their division, the Colts have been like the de facto f- season favorites every year, basically. And 
I, I don't know. They just uh, they're not living up to the expectations. And this was a game that preseason I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe if the Chiefs struggle in their first two games, this could be another game where they go up against the physical team that runs the ball, and maybe they struggle again. Well, it took. It's the complete opposite. The Chiefs dominated Arizona. It was a bumpy game against the Chargers, but a win's a win. And now you look at the Colts, and suddenly what a game that you maybe were a little concerned about. I don't see how you could look at this any other way. Is the Chiefs should should be able to get an easy win here, you would think. You would think. And that's what makes the line that was released for this one. It opened at Chiefs minus 6.5, which that to begin with felt low because, again, yeah. the Colts lost by 24 to the Jaguars and tied the Texans. And the Chiefs, meanwhile, yeah, there there were times where they didn't look great against the Chargers, but they're still playing the Chargers, who are one of the three or four best teams in the AFC, along with the Chiefs and the Bills. Yes. And they still found a way to win. And they just blew out the Cardinals. And said, like, why is this line only 6.5? And, and now it's since dropped to 5.5, despite the fact that the Chiefs are being bet on more than any other team this week. Yeah, isn't it like it's like ninety three percent of the betting is on the Chiefs, and the money's on the Chiefs, including too. including me, <laughs> and the hand up that includes me. Well, like that just feels like obviously Las Vegas makes money. Oh, yeah, what right? does what does Vegas know? What do Dan? they know here? What is going on in Vegas now? What 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 does Vegas know? The only thing that I can try to figure out here is defensively, we have seen some matchups of late. Like the one that comes to mind was a couple years ago, Sunday Night Football, the Chiefs' offense. It was like. The first time that Patrick Mahomes has been held under like 24 points or something like that, and and they held him down until like it was like 13 points. It was the game that uh, Cameron Irving the the le- had to fill in at left tackle for like Eric Fisher or something, and he like stepped on Patrick Mahomes and like injured him, and the Colts kind of held them in check, and they kind of started the we're going to play too high and not let you beat us deep type of thing that became the popular trends to do against the Chiefs. It, it kind of circles back to that game. So I wonder if they think that the Colts and, and their head coach, Frank Reich, know something to slow this offense down. That's the only thing I can explain because yeah, it doesn't I mean, make sense. It another make angle sense. you could look at it is they have Jonathan Taylor. They have a physical running running game. Like Maybe they think that just by the Colts' virtue of playing possession, they'll be able to keep this at, at, to a closer game. Uh, that could be one way to look at it because it's not like the Chiefs' run defense has been phenomenal. And obviously the, the Chiefs' defense, it's it was really pretty good against against the Chargers after the start of the game. They forced six punts on eight possessions at one point for, uh, versus the Chargers. So that should give you some confidence in the Chiefs' defense. But, yeah, I guess from the angle of the line, you could say, oh, okay, well, maybe it's – they think that the the Colts are going to be able to run the ball and control the clock and control this and that and the other. And then, you know, even though the Chiefs might be the better team, it still ends up being, you know, a 24-21 game or something like that. Yeah, I'm think- they must think that the Colts keep it close. And, and maybe there is something to that. So to be honest with that line, like I'm completely avoiding this game just because I am so suspicious of like what's going on here with Vegas. But just in terms See, of... I just got suckered right in. I just went all in just... Head first. Well, again, like as we're talking here, when you're trying to break down the game, it's hard to come up with reasons why the Colts should cover. The only reason I have is because Vegas might know something. It's, which like, is the, not, it's like that Brian Windhorse meme. What is going right, on? In right. Vegas? It's like not a valid reason for me to bet it, but it also scares me enough to kind of avoid <laughs> it there. Matt Ryan does look kind of like he's kind of done. He's 37 years old. Like that doesn't look good. Michael Pittman was missing last week, and and I think he's going to play this week. But is that the difference between the passing offense all of a sudden going yeah. off? No. I mean, there's still no Trent McDuffie for the Chiefs, so that 
I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess Willie Gay's out. You know, and, and, and Willie Gay, Willie Gay also being suspended. So you're probably going to see a lot more of Leo Chanel or some different looks from the Chiefs from that standpoint. But, but again, Justin Watson had the, or Jalen Watson. What, wait, yeah, Jalen Watson yeah. is the cornerback. Justin was the receiver. Justin's the receiver. Caught receiver. That, yep. Jalen's the, okay. Just want to make sure I clarified that. That's not confusing at all. <laughs> <laughs> so Jalen Watson filled in and got a pick six against the Chargers last week. So, yeah, I don't know. And plus, you would think the Chiefs played on Thursday night, so they've actually had extra time to prepare. So you would think that would give them even more of an advantage. Especially when you consider Andy Reid's record coming off of bye weeks is is flawless. Yeah, it's, and I know it's not a bye week, but you get literally similar three extra days yeah. to prepare. Half a bye week. That's a good point too. You have that kind of going your way. I yeah, you think that would be even more in favor of the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I want to see what the Chiefs' defense can do in this game because the the Chargers game they looked pretty good. The first half, Chargers were. were Able to possess the ball a little, drive up and down, but then there was that stretch where I, I know you mentioned this on Monday. I think it was what six of eight six, drives or six, something where they yeah, punted. Six punts and eight drives. So that was good. Let's see what you can do against the Colts because all of a sudden you do have an opportunity against a quarterback who is kind of like a wounded animal right now with Matt Ryan that you should be able to kind of run around and, and not allow a big game. And I do wonder if they can just kind of just sit on the running game, like. You know, make Matt Ryan try to beat you in this game. Yeah. You don't want a game where Jonathan Taylor rushes for 150 yards, runs for 200 yards, because yeah. the passing game has not shown a ton there. I think this will be a great opportunity for the defense to continue kind of flexing their muscle, because this is, you would have to agree, I mean, this has got to be by far, maybe not by far, but like this is the worst offense they've played so far in the early season. Yes, yes. When you consider Arizona's offense, I mean, Arizona's offense was really, really handcuffed mm-hmm. by injuries, but obviously Kyler Murray is very dynamic. And then the Chargers offense, I think most people would consider, is maybe a top-five offense in the league with Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Like, I'm, some of, I'm, They have some injuries too, but but yeah, this is by far the worst offense they play. But I was just thinking, is how many points is Willie Gay worth on the line? Hmm. Is his suspension that big of, is enough to sway a, a game line that much? No, there's no way. Because I think, I think quarterbacks like if you're like a, a solid quarterback and you don't play, like for instance, okay, the the Cowboys were playing the Bengals last week. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback, but not like a top five quarterback. And the Bengals ended up being seven point favorites coming into the game. If Dak Prescott plays in that game, what do you think it is? Probably since he minus three. Maybe, but since he's looked since he's looked bad too, though they have. But coming into that game, it, it's still kind of based on preseason hype, right? Okay, yeah. Which is why they were seven point favorites. So let's say that Dak Prescott, for instance, is worth four points in a game. Patrick Mahomes might be worth seven to ten. Yeah. What is Willie Gay worth at most? Like two? I don't even think it's that much. One. I think the only defensive maybe, players guess, who are worth but, two points are like Aaron Donald. And but TJ against Watt. the Colts, who's going to run the ball a lot. Yeah, maybe I get what you're saying. I I think it's probably I, I only know, worth man. half just, a point. I'm just speculating. This is pure speculation. Mm-hmm. No, I mean the biggest key: can you shut down the run in this game, though? And, and so you're right. Being without Willie Gay could be problematic. There, the one thing that's helpful with Leo Chanel is that all the grades, every everything, you, the scouting reports, whatnot that you would hear about him in his time at Wisconsin and and everything. Great run stopper, good blitzer for a linebacker. Had some struggles in coverage. Yeah, he's definitely a thumper. That works out for this game, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess from that standpoint it does. I guess from that standpoint it does, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think this is a game that uh, it's tough to see the Chiefs. I mean, I, I don't know. But at the same time, maybe part of it is also this is a game that going into the season, you weren't expecting it to be a trap game, but now it like kind of is, really. Because remember, the Chiefs have a tough, tough first part of the schedule. You're in Tampa after this, I yeah, believe. They have, yeah, they have a tough, tough couple games coming up after this. So maybe that's a factor that maybe now all of a sudden you've got this idea of maybe this becomes a, a game where you overlook the Colts. But, uh, yeah, I think this is a game where the Chiefs should be able to hand, win pretty handily. I mean, I don't. I mean, I know the offense maybe struggled a bit more against the Chargers, but I don't think there's any real serious questions about the offense. Uh, I think, I think maybe still you have a question about the usage of Marquez Valdez Scantling and what his role is going to look like because I think I'm pretty sure he's the guy that's run the most routes for the Chiefs so far this season. Which I don't know if that's necessarily what you want. You probably want Juju or even Travis Kelsey maybe to be leading that category. But so there could still be some questions there, but. I, I, it's not like anybody's concerned about the Chiefs' offense. I mean, they're, they no, should be fine. I'm not at all. Uh, Colts' defensive coordinator is Gus Bradley. He was the former D.C. of – I mean, he's been all over the place, former, like, Jaguars head coach, D.C. with the uh, Seahawks and all sorts of teams. He was the defensive coordinator with the Raiders last year. If you were to remember the Chiefs – They beat the crap out of them. Yes. Twice. And dumped all over them. Yes. It was not even close. And the offense put up 40-plus points in both games. Also, I thought it was just funny that I, I feel like with with a lot of these guys, a lot of coaches in of like this category, it's like how many of them are former Jaguars head coaches? <laughs> You're like, We're, oh yeah, coaching dreams offensive, go to die. Offensive yeah. coordinator for whatever. Oh yeah, he was former head coach of the Jaguars. <laughs> oh, that's sad. But like that, that doesn't bode well for you. So the Colts have actually done a good job defending the run so far this season. Texans were at 2.8 yards per carry. Jaguars were at 2.6. And the Chiefs' offensive line has actually been really good run blocking this year. They've struggled a lot, though, pass blocking. That's going to be the way they win the game. It's just passing the football, which even though that the offensive line has struggled in that regard, so you're looking for them to pick that up, especially a certain someone who is looking to be paid this offseason, you still have confidence, though. Like, you look at, for instance, this is what Trevor Lawrence did. Trevor Lawrence was 25 of 30. That's For good. 235 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Trevor Lawrence had a 95.1 total QBR that's against good. the Colts. That's, that's good. So Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 800 yards. Regardless, I'm fully prepared to come in here on Monday and talk about how the Chiefs lost. Or how they didn't cover minus five and a half. Yeah. I mean, there have been other games, too, where you go in you go, I mean, oh, the there's Chiefs, no way the Chiefs don't cover this, The Chiefs right? do tend to have a, mm-hmm. uh, a letdown game a, every a, now and then. A KU football syndrome, mm-hmm. if you will. Where they just have games where you're like, oh, I guess it's not exactly. I don't. K football syndrome is not the way we describe it, but it's, you know, where they have games where they go in and they're expected to dominate, and then they just they just don't, you know. Or like I was like I was talking to you about earlier this week, where the Chiefs are are the the kings of being like, wow, that was an awesome first half, a phenomenal first half. The offense was fantastic, the defense played well, and the Chiefs are up twenty to fourteen. Like that's that that's how the Chiefs. That's also <laughs> what the Chiefs have done. Uh, a lot under Mahomes, you know, so that maybe that's possible. I, I don't know. The Jaguars got to Matt Ryan. They, they got three interceptions, but they got five sacks last week. And Josh Allen on the Jaguars defensive line, he's a really good pass rusher. He had, uh, I don't know, seven and a half sacks last year. He had over 10, I think, his rookie year. Like, he's a good pass rusher. Yeah. Is he better than Chris Jones? Well, probably not. 
Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's different positions, yeah. so it's a little yeah. bit different there. But, like... Is he better than Frank Clark? Yes. Yes. But, like, I guess the point I'm going here, he had two of the sacks. The rest of the team had three. The Chiefs' defensive line, it's not like it's way worse than the Jaguars, so why should you not be able to get uh, pressure on them? Why should you not be able to make Matt Ryan's life a living hell? It's just about, can you stop the run? And if the Colts' defense is anything like it's been so far this season, they might stop the Chiefs' run, but Patrick Mahomes got all sorts of opportunities, and that's probably a really good thing because Patrick Mahomes is really damn good at football. He is. That's great it's, analysis it's really fun there. To watch. Yeah. It's really fun to watch. <laughs> With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's get to our game picks coming up next. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for joining us today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Game picks have not gone too well for us so far this season, especially for me in the NFL. Yeah, the NFL's been bad for you. Yeah. Really we've done, bad. We've done good with our locks, though, which is a positive. Um, you are 15-20 and 20 overall, including the locks. You are 8-12 and 12 in just the regular college football picks, 4-6 and six in the NFL ones. I am 10-10 10 and 10 in the college football picks, 2-8 and eight in the NFL ones. 2-8, yeesh. Yeah, not good. Okay, let's Yikes. turn it around. This is the week, college football. First up, number five, Clemson. At number 21, Wake Forest, the Tigers are giving up seven and a half points. I'm going with Clemson here. Uh, I think this is a, another game where it'll be like 31 to 10, 30, or 24 to 10, something like that. Like, I don't know. I just I just don't see Wake Forest being able to score a lot. And even though Clemson's offense stinks, I don't think it's going to really matter. I think I'm taking Clemson. I, yeah, I'm very scared off by the Clemson offense not being very good. But last year, Clemson's offense also wasn't very good, and they found a way to do really whatever they wanted against Wake Forest. They beat them 48-27. to That was obviously played at Clemson. This one's in Wake Forest. It does entice me to take Wake Forest based on the ability that they do have the better offense in Clemson. If Wake Forest, you know, can stop them at all, unlike last season. Yeah. It's going to be tough for Clemson to keep up but with Clemson's, the high-octane offense. Clemson's defense is just too good. That's the thing. I think, I think Clemson's defense is too good. And a lot of it's the defensive line. So, like, the slow mesh that Wake Forest does, it's a lot harder when you're playing a D-line that's going to kind of overmatch your offensive line and just get right into the backfield. So, I like Clemson giving up the 7.5 points. Number 17, Baylor is at Iowa State. Cyclones unranked, but they're favored by 2.5. Yeah, I'm taking Baylor here. I think Baylor's the most physical team in the Big 12, and that – is something that really helps when you're on the road against an opponent playing in a in a more hostile environment. The ability to just run the ball and and, and kind of take the wind out of the crowd. And I, I don't I don't know. I mean I know Baylor kind of they lost to BYU, but I still feel like this is one of the better teams in the Big Twelve. And I think this is going to be maybe a statement game for them to say that they are still one of the top teams in the Big Twelve. Because I think we have we have questions about Iowa State. We have questions about how good are they really? Are they a top four or five team in the Big Twelve? Maybe, maybe not. But to me, to me, this feels like a game where Baylor is going to reassert themselves as in the serious conversation of making the Big 12 title game. So I've kind of been – I still think Baylor's a good team, but I've kind of been out on the idea that they were going to make it back to the Big 12 title just because I felt like last year, like, they, they had so many things go their way. They had all these close wins. Last year they beat Texas State by nine. They beat Iowa State by two. 
despite having like 200 less yards in the game. But Iowa State had some turnover issues and they missed a two point conversion to tie it at the end. Uh, Baylor had a seven point win over Texas. They had a uh, 10 point win at Kansas State, three point win against Texas Tech, five point win against Oklahoma State. Like they just dominated all these one score games. And Iowa State last year was kind of the inverse of that. They lose a close one to Iowa. They lose the two-point game to Baylor. They lose a seven-point game at West Virginia, three-point game at Texas Tech, seven-point game at Oklahoma, seven-point game to Clemson in the bowl game. And it's not that that stuff always equals itself out. We saw with Nebraska, like it never did for Scott Frost. Sometimes you lose close games for reasons that are other than just luck. Sometimes there's something that goes into that. You're just a bad late game yeah post game manager or team or whatever mm-hmm. some teams thrive on it like iowa historically over the last like decade has been unbelievably good in like <laughs> one score games so it's not to say that it's always just going to equal itself out but i did think coming into this year that baylor was going to revert a little bit and iowa state might have some positive reversion going forward and I think this is kind of the the sum of all that. Again, they were the better team last year. They just had some bad turnovers and unable to kind of come back late in that game. I think this is also a Vegas knows something game. Why is the team who's unranked favored by two and a half here over the team who won the Big 12 last year? Give me Iowa State okay. to win straight up and cover the two and a half. Okay. Number 20, Florida at number 11, Tennessee. The Vols are favored by 10 and a half at the fraudulent college game day. <laughs> The fake news, fraudulent <laughs> college game day. Not my college game Mm-mm. day. No, I I'm, don't. I'm going with I'm going with Florida here. First of all, ten and a half seems like a lot of points, especially for a rivalry game. Like I was a bit surprised to see the line that high. And Tennessee, I know they beat Ball State pretty badly. Who I don't remember who they played last week. Uh, who they beat last week? Uh, I don't remember last week, but I, I think they beat the brains off them. But I know they played Pittsburgh, who was oh yeah, ranked yeah. They did two weeks Pittsburgh. ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm I'm just not super high on Tennessee. Uh, I think Florida. I don't know that Florida is going to win, but I think they'll definitely cover ten and a half. It's a rivalry game. This is one that I'm I'm with you that I'm going to take Florida. I am scared though. Again, like is this a Vegas note? Why is this ten and a half? Trying to get behind the line. I think the reason why is Tennessee has looked so good. And, they, and, they and were, Tennessee's offense is explosive. Exactly. And I think that's part of it, that they're kind of the sexy pick, the sexy bet. And Florida also has kind of faded since they had that that Utah win and yeah, Anthony yeah. Richardson was this dark horse Heisman candidate. Cam Newton. Yeah, he hasn't thrown a passing touchdown. So <laughs> you start to get on board with why Tennessee. But Tennessee has kind of struggled in this series. And a lot of times when things have felt like they're going to go right for them, they have gone wrong in this series. Florida's found a way. I think Florida at least keeps it close. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that Florida wins, mm-hmm. but I, this it'll definitely be within rivalry game. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Tennessee's the eleventh best team we're in the both, country. We're either. both going to lose this pick, by the way. Yeah, that's typically how it works. <laughs> number ten, Arkansas taking on number twenty-three, Texas A&M, being played Dude, um, at Jerry World. I do not understand how you could watch the Miami Texas A&M game and think that Texas A&M should be favored. <laughs> like, did you watch that? Did anybody watch that game? Oh, it was a suck fest. Oh, my God. Give me Arkansas. I saw. I'm trying to remember the stat. Like, uh, this must be Kyle Field just be worth, like, five points, I guess. That's my assumption. Because Texas A&M, Texas A&M stinks. Somebody, I, I don't remember, is a national writer, and now I'm going to be really mad because I'm totally going to butcher this stat. And I don't have it, but it was something along the lines of, like, touchdowns against 
Power Five or, or not Power Five against like D1 opponents or something like that in Texas A&M. It was some sort of important offensive stat. Texas A&M is worse than Iowa in it. So again, oh, I know what was, you're talking about. I remember seeing that stat too. Yeah, that was a horrible way of describing that it. No, but I, that, I know exactly what you're talking about. That just I describes thought. how bad the offense has been for yeah, them. Yeah, they lost to App State. Again, the Miami game, I just... It was not about the offense. What do, you, what do you mean? Like, it was not about AM's offense and why they beat Miami. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Bad. Yeah, the offense yeah. is bad. Yeah, yeah. The, no, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the offense is bad. So, yeah, give me Arkansas. I'm with you there. Also, being a Jerry World... Jerry World uh, well, they're not even playing at Kyle Field. No. That's right. I forgot about that. So, then yeah. why is Texas A&M favored by two? Yeah, I don't, Vegas I don't know. Again, it might be a Vegas knows. I think this one might more so okay, be... But we can't... Derek, listen. Mm-hmm. We can't sit here and blame every one of our bad picks on just Vegas knows. No. At some point, we're just bad at picking. Oh, no, for sure. But, like, I I think that this one you can get behind the idea that Texas A&M is, like, the more flashy team. They have all those five stars, that the number one recruiting class coming in the country. Offense? Oh, of course. I'm just saying from a – what Vegas does with the lines – what can they get the most bets on, right? How can they make yeah. the most money? And I think in their minds, they can get the most bets from the on Texas, Texas A&M, A&M side, right? So I, I I like Arkansas on this. They play a tough physical brand of football. Their linebacker, Drew Sanders, is one of the best in the country. I love their quarterback, is, uh, is KJ Bumper Jefferson. Is still there? I don't know. Oh. That's a great name, though. Yeah. I like Arkansas as well. Okay. Give me them plus the two. Okay. Number seven, USC is giving up five and a half points. They're at Oregon State for a late nighter. All right, listen. I know that nobody, and I mean nobody, loves Oregon State more than you. Mm. But I'm taking USC here. They're just going to score a billion points, and Oregon State's not going to be able to keep up. They're not. So they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to cover the six, the, the five and a half. I think USC is just going to score. They're just going to score, and it's going to be enough to where they cover. So I'm taking USC. Hmm. Like, I don't I don't care how good Oregon State's offense is, they're not keeping up. I just I love this Oregon State team. Um and I just I, I keep going back to the idea that USC's defense is just bad. They're not and good. They're getting some positive turnover luck continually. They had some good injury luck last week with Fresno State. Like Oregon State has surprisingly done like kind of okay in this series. Oregon State beat USC last year 45-27. There's obviously the game that everyone remembers in Oh, gosh, where was that? Maybe 2008 when USC was, like, number one in the country and Oregon State beat them or something like that. Like, they've they've been pesky to USC. I think they at least keep this close. Maybe some late-night craziness occurs. Packed hole after dark. I'm going to sprinkle something on Oregon State money line in this game. Give me Oregon State plus five and a half. All right. Love the Beavers. What's your lock of the week? My lock of the week is Michigan minus 17 versus Maryland, and here's why. Cade McNamara is out, and he's the worst quarterback of the two. And he's out, so they can't they can't play the worst <laughs> quarterback. They have to play. I don't. I actually I'm blanking on the name of the other guy. Of it's the uh, JJ third. McCarthy. Uh, yeah, that might be it. Right? Right? It might. It's it's something McCarthy. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, regardless, he's way better than Cade McNamara. McNamara is out, so they can't play the worst quarterback. And for that reason alone, they're going to cover. It's not a bad reason. The thing with Maryland too, when you look at. Um, I forget the name of the head coach. Guy came over from Alabama. Also, also, I think Michigan. Oh, okay. Well, this is this is. So I picked for the whole game. Yeah. But I did re, I did see somewhere Michigan one half line. Michigan's like fourteen and one in their last. Do you want to change games. it? No, I, I don't know what the half line is. I'll, I'll take I'll take minus seventeen for the whole game. Okay. But I do like that bet. The Maryland like the thing with Maryland the last like three years they've been like pesky. They win five or six games or something. 
But like every game outside of that one random Ohio State game a couple years ago, they get blown out by like top 25 opponents. So yeah. I think that's a good bet for you. I'm going to go with Devin Neal over 0.5 rushing touchdowns. You can get that on DraftKings right now. It was, if you would have bet it yesterday, you could have got plus 105. I think it's down to plus 100 right now. Okay, but, I thought we had to pick games. You can do whatever you want. Oh, it's okay. your lock of the week. Well, I didn't know that. I'm locking it up. Okay, well, feel I feel most I, confident. Okay. It just I, didn't, has I didn't to be, know that. I didn't know that. It just has to be like real like college odds. college or NFL or real odds. Okay. Yeah, like okay. you can't, I can't be like, I'm taking Georgia money line this week. You know what I mean? Like it has to be around <laughs> even odds. I think that's the only... The only caveat okay. to this. Okay. Okay. So I'll take Devin Neal over 0.5 rushing touchdowns. He's uh, had an affinity for getting in the end zone really over his college career. If you think Kansas is going to score oh, four, five, score. six, seven touchdowns in this game. Oh, they're going to score. Well, don't you think if they're going to score that many touchdowns, like shouldn't Devin Neal get at least one? Yeah, probably. So I like that bet. That's a good one. Okay. On to the NFL. Buffalo minus five at the upstart Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I'm taking Buffalo here. I have Buffalo's given no reason to, for me to believe that they are not extremely dominant. And I understand that Miami's got a good offense and they could maybe score enough points to keep to keep it interesting and everything. But Buffalo's also got a really good defense. So I'm taking Buffalo minus five. And also, I I think this is maybe just selfishly on my part. I really just want to see Miami get blown out. <laughs> I just do. I just, I just want to see it. Yeah, it's not... And we're not really getting much Schadenfreude from the Dolphins. Loo- like loo- they're they're just winning of of Tyreek Hill so having annoying. to suffer, right? I know. Maybe this is the week. I I think that Miami's going to keep it close. I think Buffalo wins the game. Buffalo's blown out their first two opponents. So that yep. that makes you feel good. Yep. I I think Miami keeps it close. This to me feels like one of those like statement loss games <laughs> where the the Bills win a close one. The Dolphins, though, are like, hey, we hung right with them. And then the next time they play, the Bills beat them by like 10. And it just gets you like false hope. Uh, so I'm going to take Miami to cover. Tua looked really good last week. We'll see what he can do against like a really good defense, though, with Buffalo. Because Baltimore did not have a good defense last year. And it looks like that could be the case once again this year. Which brings us into our next pick. Baltimore, minus two and a half at New England. Okay, even though Baltimore does not have a good defense, New England has a worse offense. <laughs> yes. They have a worse offense. I'm taking, I'm taking Baltimore. Baltimore minus two and a half over New England because New England's offense is horrible. It really is bad. Really bad. They I mean, have talk about. I just mentioned we had a suck fest earlier. Another one was New England Pittsburgh last yeah, week. Yeah, that was a gross game. It that, that was a sickos game for sure. <laughs> I love that. Um, New England. Yeah, they just have no weapons around Mac Jones. Like it's he's fine. He's like a I think game JK manager. He needs weapons. To, I think J.K. Dobbins is supposed to play also. That'd be a big lift for them because right now they're not getting a ton from the running backs. Like I all their running game has been Lamar. He might still be questionable. I don't know. That would certainly be a big boost. But yeah, I like Baltimore minus two and a half bouncing back as well. I do think that the lack of weapons, it's it's one thing if you get torched on the back because Baltimore loves to blitz. We know that. And so that's gonna leave you in a lot of one on one opportunities, which is probably not an ideal defense to go up against what the Dolphins have. Because Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill are gonna win a lot of those one on one opportunities. Yeah. And that's what happened in that game. New England doesn't have those guys. I'm going to be honest. I can't name a single New England receiver. Kendrick Bourne. they have? You go. No, I, that's what I'm saying. I can't. I, I, <laughs> Give me one. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I mean, Hunter Henry, that's a tight end. That's a tight end. And Nelson they Aguilar? Had, they had Nikhil Harry, How many can gone. I do? Yeah, Nelson Aguilar. That's two. Uh, I don't know. I literally, I got nothing. You're 2-0 two, two and oh on me there. <laughs> I feel like I'm a Tyquan Thornton, but I think he's on IR. They drafted him. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's bad. They they don't have many weapons in Baltimore. L.A. Rams are giving up three and a half. They're playing at Arizona. 
Yeah, the whole myth of Arizona being a really good early in the season team, that might be dead. I don't know. So I'm taking the Rams here. Uh, I, I I think there, was, there wasn't that much panicking when the Rams lost to the Bills. I think gen- the general consensus I felt like around was that game was less of a, oh, the Rams are in trouble and more of a, wow, the Bills are really good yeah. type game. So I think the Rams are fine from that standpoint. And I think they will win this game against Arizona because suddenly with Jimmy G with the 49ers, maybe they can win the division over the Rams. But the Rams obviously still have to worry about Arizona, and I think they'll I think they'll take care of business. I'm, I'll take the Rams. I I still am not that impressed with the Rams, though. I they just looked so lethargic. And then they did look really good through like the first half of the Falcons game, but they, they very easily could have lost that game to Marcus Mariota. And I don't think the Falcons are a very good team, although maybe they're more pesky than we thought with the way they've played the Rams and the Saints in week one and week two. This is a tough one for me. I'm just going Rams just barely. But I don't really have much rhyme or reason because the Rams' defense has kind of struggled so far. Arizona, I don't know what to think of them. Like, are they all of a sudden back to where they were last year where they were a playoff team? Or was that just kind of a fluky come-from-behind victory? I'll just go with the Rams, but yeah, I don't I, feel great about it. I think the it. issue with Arizona is we're not really going to know where they are until they get their a lot of their offensive players back. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zach Ertz is, is still hurt. Obviously, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins for another three weeks. So I, I, I think it's going to be really difficult to gauge where the – like, to me, the Cardinals seem like a team that's like, if they can just kind of limp their way to, like, 3-3 three and three or even 4-2 and two before they get Hopkins back and get a little healthy, then they might still have a shot at making the playoffs. But I don't know how much you can read into them this early in the season, and that's another reason why I'm going with the Rams. Yeah, and the Hopkins one is, is the big one. But, yeah, I'll go Rams as well. Green Bay at Tampa Bay, rematch of the 2021 NFC Championship game. Buccaneers are favored by a point. Yeah, I'm going with Tampa Bay here. I understand that uh, Mike Evans is out. The one-game suspension, he appealed, got denied. So that kind of hurts Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay's defense is just really, really, really good. Like, really good. And I haven't been that impressed with Green Bay. I mean, I know they you know, they, they took care of business against the Bears, but the Vikings game week one was still a disaster for them. And if they can't run the ball against the Bucks, they're going to have a lot of problems. I know you got Aaron Rodgers, but the receiving core for the, Bear, the Packers – I don't think this is really surprising to anybody that it's going to maybe taking longer for some of those guys to gel together on the receiving core, but that's going to be an issue in this game against Tampa Bay. So even even though there's you have no Mike Evans, I think Tampa Bay is still going to win. The thing is, I'm. What if like Tampa Bay's receiving core is not much better than Green Bay's for this specific game? Because with Mike Evans out, I haven't seen any updated status on Julio Jones or Chris Godwin. I haven't either. Actually, even Brashad Perriman who was like their number four, <laughs> number five, and had to be vaulted up to like well, one of their top two last they, week. They signed, he got injured too. The Bucks signed Cole Beasley. Or they, yeah. they worked him out. Well, he's on the practice they squad. They signed him to the practice okay. squad. So that sounds like he's going to take like a week or two before he gets elevated. Okay. So he's not quite there yet, which tells me this receiving core is depleted. And I think, I think Tom Brady's at a stage in his career where like if you give both getting, him and Aaron Rodgers. We're getting angry Tom a lot. We are, but it, but he kind of struggled. I mean, did you see him? He was throwing the um, yeah, yeah, tablet and yeah, stuff on yeah. the sideline. Yeah, he's living separately from his wife, and he's just angry yeah. all the time. At this stage of their career, if you're giving me a bad receiving core, I want Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. He can do more in the pocket. He's a little bit younger. I, like, okay. Tom Brady's still really good. I understand all that, but I think I think what trumps all that is the Bucks defense. That does that's scare me. That's what I also think of. the Packers have a better running game, though. Probably. I'm, I'm banking on the Bucks defense. I'm just going to go Green Bay gets revenge for the NFC Championship. I don't know. I This is a coin okay. flip. Okay. 
San Francisco minus one and a half at Denver. Oh, yeah. Give me San Francisco all day, every day. Denver sucks. Jimmy G's back. He's ready to roll. San Francisco, I think, wins easily. Denver is bad. I don't like the line is still pretty close. One at minus one and a half. Denver is bad. I don't know how many times I have to say it each week. They're bad. They're not a good team. They're going to get like five or six wins. No, I, I don't think. I, I still they're think bad. they're good. They are bad. Eight, they're nine they're plus not wins. good. Um, Maybe we should make a side bet on this. I'll bet you something that they're <laughs> going to still gonna, win eight or nine games. Anyway, they're going to go over six and a half wins. Yeah, I'm glad they take that. Nonetheless, it does scare me a little. Russell Wilson's had a lot of success in his career against San Francisco. Obviously, this is a different situation and everything. Kyle Shanahan over Nathaniel Hackett is a big coaching upgrade for San Francisco. And the revenge tour for Jimmy Garoppolo is beginning. Niners defense is fantastic. I like 49ers in this one. If the Broncos win dark, this one, though, G. if the Broncos win this one, will you change your tune on Denver? No. No? Even if they win? Well, if they win handily, okay. I might say they'll win seven games. Instead of seven. <laughs> what is your uh, lock of the week? My luck of the week is, uh, we were just talking about it in the last segment, I'm going with the Chiefs minus 5.5 against the Colts. I've, I've decided that I'm just going to go Steering. all in, head first, straight into the brick wall, all the way, Chiefs minus 5.5. Don't let me down. All right, good luck. I am not going to be that brave. I am going, I, I thought about actually doubling down on the Ravens on this one, but I'm going to take an over. I'm going to go Detroit, Minnesota, over 52.5. The Lions and the Vikings, both of these teams. Is it a primetime game? Uh, no, I think I it's it just is. like an afternoon okay, game. Okay, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point with Kirk Cousins. Okay, <laughs> but aren't, aren't like Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff the epitome of when their team is down two touchdowns with three minutes left, they're going to go down and put up some major stats and score a touchdown? And Maybe, I have yeah. both of them in this game. Well, I, the Lions offense is just the best offense. It has. I mean, it's been just they're putting just, up points. They're just insane. And then you have the fact that you could get that backdoor cover with two quarterbacks who typically do that type of stuff. I mean, you have two good offenses. Uh, Lions defense has struggled. I like the I over love, here. I love the Lions. The Lions offense is great. Yeah, I think I think that's a good bet. All right, that's our game picks for the week. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Jock Sports Talk. Lawrence High football later tonight on KLWN. Pre-game show tomorrow, Big Mill at 8.30, giving away free stuff here on KLWN. And the game right here on your home for the Hawks with KLWN and 105.9 Kiss as well. It is past the stock market closing time, though, on a Friday. That means we're going to tell you what's up, what's down in our sports stock market for this week. First up, stock is up on us talking about something on the show that we can't really add any analysis to. Um, the KU. Oh, I'm so ready to give it and uh, the perfect analysis for this. Okay, okay, I'm excited for this. Uh, okay. KU, okay. or uh, not just KU, the Big Twelve released their Big Twelve basketball schedule, and part of that was KU having their Big Twelve basketball schedule. So obviously, we knew the non-con dates already and who KU was playing in the non-con, but now we know the Big Twelve schedule. It's like, I'm not saying it's not important. It is. You want to know when you're playing everyone, and and once we get in season, it'll be important. I just. I, I don't get the hype when stuff like this gets released because it's like you don't we get, already you don't get excited. No, because we already knew they were going to play every Big Twelve <laughs> team home and away, so it didn't really matter to me like when it happens. Yeah, Once we when, get there, but when there does when? that really matter? I, I mean, outside of like okay, Senior Day is February twenty eighth against Texas Tech, but like 
the schedule is one of those things where it's just like, all right, we're the week there of that. Who are they playing this week? Here we go. Let's have those matchups. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the Big 12 finale at Texas, that's interesting. It is, but you know? would it have not been interesting if it was on February 16th as opposed to March 4th? It, it's more interesting. It yeah. is? Yeah, because <laughs> Texas is a team that's probably going to be in contention for the Big 12 title, and if they play on March 4th, that could be a de facto, you know, Big 12 title situation. I guess. I just, again, like either way, you're playing the same amount of teams, the same teams. But, it, but depending on who you're playing, it totally matters when you play them. <laughs> I don't know. What do you there, mean you don't know? But there's nothing we can do about that right now. We're in September. I don't know who's going to be hot when KU plays them in February as opposed to March. Okay. I just, like, table this for later. What analysis okay. do you want me to do? The schedule's hard this year. I want you to, I don't know. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just like, I just we already <laughs> knew we were going to play all of them. Wow, you're just you're just raining on the parade. Like, I'm I'm more interested when the non-con comes out because the non-con you don't know necessarily everyone you're going to play, and well, you don't already, know when it's going to. We play. already know the highlights, though. Basically, do we not? What do you mean for like, the non-con? We already, yeah, we already know it's like Duke, Indiana. Well, no, for this year the non-con is already out. Yes, but I'm saying, but it wasn't general, out before. But we are, we, you know, the Champions you know Classic. Which games are going to be important and which games are not. Yeah, yeah, because they schedule a lot of this stuff out. But some of it is like last minute ads, like, like the Indiana you really, game. Do you really care when, when they're going to play Monmouth? No, no. But like the Indiana game, that got added like this offseason. Like that wasn't one where it's like, oh, they play the Champions Classic every year. Or, oh, they're in this non conference preseason tournament. I just, I can't get really like super psyched into this thing because, like I said, okay. it just, you, you know, they're going to be a good team. They're going to play tough opponents because they always make a challenging schedule. And it's just we know the Big 12 is going to be tough. Yeah. It doesn't really matter to me when you play who, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm saying. I agree to a certain extent. Okay. You know when you're playing the really good teams, a.k.a. Texas. Stock is up on me feeling old. Arsenal played Ethan, I don't know how to pronounce this, Wanary? Iwanary? Is the N silent? I don't know. Iwanary? It's spelled N-W-A-N-E-R-I. Well, guess how old this guy is? Correct answer is 15. He is 15 years old, Man. and he is playing in the highest division of soccer. He broke the record of Harvey Elliott, who played at 16 years old with Liverpool. And also, he became Arsenal's youngest. Their previous was 16 in like a half. Derek, what were you doing when you were 15? Uh, certainly not playing professional soccer, getting paid millions of dollars to do it. Yeah. What, freshman in high school or something? That's what's crazy. Like, I we're, was playing a lot of video games. I, I just, like, can't imagine the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, you're a high schooler. You're hanging out with friends. You're playing video games. You're going to high school dances. And this guy's like, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm making millions yeah. of dollars i mean there's you know there's that always that question of like when you do these kinds of things if you're not missing out on you know quote-unquote life moments yeah it's like the argument of like if you're taking your kid to like travel baseball every summer when they're from like when they're like six or seven years old like are you missing out is the kid is your kid missing out on like life moments you know but also if you're really really good then like you know go do you this guy could be a stud in professional soccer for five years, and he still wouldn't even be able to drink. Actually, no, because in no, England, I think the drinking age 18, yeah, he's isn't a, he's it? he's in Europe, yeah. Okay. And honestly— I think can, it's 16 in Germany. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, but 
they also it's one of those things I feel like in Europe where it's just like yeah whatever you know just drink. <laughs> uh, wow, stock is up on best shape of his life season. KU boot camp finished up earlier this week. Yep, they took their annual photo. No Miss Lightfoot though. No, oh, he was devastating. Flex. Oh, it was so devastating. He wasn't there for the first time in like eight years. Every year, there's always a player. And this happens across the country in, in all yep. different sports. Every year around this time, though, you'll have a like this KU basketball player gained this much pounds of muscle or added this to his vertical or whatever. The one that's that, that I remember the most, honestly, it was uh, Carlton Bragg. Okay, he went from one year to the next, and they made it was like he gained twenty five pounds of muscle. It's like now he's just going to be able to bang in the post. It's like no, he clearly did not, and that did not work out. Um, I don't know who that's going to be this year, but Joe Yosefu looks jacked. Yeah, like absolutely jacked. Is he the candidate for the? Well, I mean, I don't think it's like I don't work? think he gained that amount of muscle, but like he he's the is. candidate for the guy who's just just a unit. Well, if I'm being fair, there are cases of players where that best shape of his life season actually like does come to fruition and have oh, yeah. an impact. Like Udoka oh, yeah. Azubuki, he went from, you know, I I don't remember the exact like weight that he was and then how much he lost but going in from his junior to senior year he made a concerted effort to get more condition to be on the game longer to have more quickness to have more mobility with his game by being in better shape and that turned him into like the biggest defensive interior presence biggest defensive center presence in the country that year so like it does matter sometimes but definitely have you ever had a moment where you you know best shape of your life season no no way I was like, no, no, not even close. a chance. Yeah. No, <laughs> I have nothing there. In terms of the guy, though, that like I think um, would be most likely to be that candidate this year, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard it about Zach Clements. Like, hey, he gained 15 pounds of muscle. He's going to do a better job of yeah. banging in the post or whatnot. I don't know. Is there anybody that sticks out to you? Besides, I mean, uh, besides Joe, and again, Joe is—he uh, was all—I think he was already like a very athletic, built guy, but he just looked—he just looked extra built, I guess, extra muscly. Um, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of young, there's a lot of young guys on the on the team that this like for the freshman, obviously, this is their first one, you know. So I don't know. Stock is down on rolling up to KU football games 15 minutes before kickoff and getting a good seat because yeah, if you're if you are one of those few passionate KU football fans that were going to KU football games over the past couple of years, you were probably pretty easily able to if it was 11 a.m. kickoff, roll out of bed at like 9:45, get there by like 10:30, 10:45, and still have a really prime seat. That ain't gonna be the case. Certainly not this week. And may, probably continuing forward the rest of this season, you're gonna have to make a concerted effort to to. Uh, it, it's one of those en- unintended negative consequences of being good. Yeah. Now, as a fan, you actually have to show up and do a little planning. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of a, a sad thing uh, in, in one respect, but it's it's for a good reason. It's it's like you know you yes. have to sacrifice yes. it for the greater good. Like and- if you're gonna be mad about having to go a little earlier. Then I don't. I don't even really know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a better product. You should be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, stock is down on calculated, or I'm sorry, stock is up. That would have been a big mistake. Up. Stock is up on calculated planning. 
because this is some galaxy check this out. Stuff. Yeah, so Mike Evans, who we talked about earlier, suspended for the game against New Orleans. Earlier this offseason, he restructured his contract, lowering his base salary to a different amount. And I don't want to get like in the weeds of all this. But basically, what this led to happening is that because his base salary was lower and he, he took more of his money like in a signing bonus, his one-game suspension is only going to cost him the salary of $62,000 rather than $715,000. He did that in the offseason. There's been plenty of beef in the past between Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, the corner for the Saints. Like, yep. They get into it all the time. Obviously, they knew they were going to be playing early in the season. Yep. I think Mike Evans, this is calculated planning. He was like, <laughs> I don't care. I can go all out if I lower my base salary. If I get suspended, it's not as big of a deal. Who cares? I'm going to go... 62,000. That's that's still a lot. Of, it is, but not, not to, as much not to, to him. These guys. Yeah. But that's a lot for guys like us. Mhm. But he's not us. <laughs> uh stock is up on Littlefinger. You did right. not watch yeah, Game of Thrones. I've, nor have you. I have not watched Game of Thrones. Not I don't want anybody to like come after me for being like, "Oh, this guy's <laughs> like some kind of weird like anti You know what I mean? It's like the people mm-hmm. that it's like the people that go out of their way to tell you they don't drink coffee. You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, you get your cup of coffee, and the guy walks up, and he's like, oh, coffee? I don't drink coffee. Look how I'm, I am just, that's just how cool I am. I don't drink coffee. You're joking. Like, that, I don't want people to come after you. That, uh-huh. that, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. Listen, I just, I just didn't, I don't have HBO Max. never had HBO Max. I think I would like Game of Thrones if I watched it, but now it's to the point where I just, I don't know, haven't watched it. You missed the boat. Well, I mean, House of Dragons out now, but, uh, so Littlefinger, I'll explain this to you, is basically a conniving character who... Basically, like, behind the scenes, behind the shadows, like, causes the demise of a lot of different people and is always, like, he's just kind of a rat. Um, That's what's happening in college football. There are a lot of little fingers on the Arizona State football staff. This is is crazy. You typically, like... You could you could not like your head coach if you're an assistant coach or not get along with certain guys on the staff. But like there are certain things among that coaching brotherhood that don't really get crossed over, and this is without a doubt one of them. So yeah, here's this is a, bad. Yeah, th- this is a report in uh, uh, I don't know the, the Philadelphia Tribune or something. I don't know Saturday Out West, whatever. Air, the, There's multiple outlets reports. Yes, Arizona State staffers were leaking information to help opponents. So that Herm Edwards could get fired. That is insane. Yeah, that's really bad. And if I'm Herm Edwards, like, you should, those guys need to be blacklisted. Like, whoever was doing that, you should, like, intentionally, basically intentionally getting a guy fired, right? And, like, if you're an assistant coach and the head coach gets fired, there's a chance you might get fired, but you're probably going to be fine. I don't know. No, but, like, I mean, you'll probably be fine in the standpoint of you'll end up somewhere else. Like, most of these guys end, end up keep getting jobs elsewhere. But, like, how often do you see a coach get fired, a new coach comes in, and he just brings cleans, all of the assistants house. back? Yeah. yeah, most of the time he cleans house, he brings his own guys in. So, like, I don't understand what the end goal was here because especially with how the Herm Edwards tenure is finished out here, investigations from the NCAA, a lot of these assistants probably aren't going to stick around. The only way this makes sense to me is if, like, some of these other colleges – we're like telling some of these disgruntled assistant coaches, like, we'll hey, hire you, you. Yeah, yeah, if you help us out here, we'll hire you. Like once you're uh, kind Which of is even creator. more messed up. Yes, it is. But it also makes you wonder, like, how often do you think this stuff happens? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've I've definitely heard some stories about like 
janitors going into visiting locker rooms and grabbing the playbooks before they throw them away from the team or like going through the dumpsters stuff like like I've heard about I've heard stories about that but this is like another level because this is like you're self-sabotaging you know what I mean what if this like, is like there's plenty of stories about obviously like trying to cheat and, and get it get extra edge over your opponents but it's never like self right it's never like mm-hmm. the actual team literally sabotaging themselves what if this is a situation where it's actually being misconstrued in that? So, like, I remember a story when I want to say Mike Leach. they're just bad at, like, hiding what they're doing? Well, no, no, no. What if So, like, Mike Leach was at Oklahoma, I believe. I believe that was when it was against. I, I don't know. It could have been at one of the other schools. And they were playing Texas one week. And Mike Leach made, like, a fake playbook. Or it wasn't a playbook. It was, like... He had scripted out the first whatever plays of the game. And he made, like, a fake script. Oh, he gave it to him? And No, he didn't give it to him. He, like, put it on the Texas sideline or something before the game. Like, he got there early and put it there. So one of the Texas staffers got it and, and gives it to whoever, the coach. I don't know if it's Mac Brown or whatever. And and they thought they had the first part of the, the thing scripted out. And, like, I, he probably ran the first play how it was so that the coach was like, okay, we got him now, right? And then he kind of messed with them and um, – was able to have success off that. What if that's what was happening here? What if the the Arizona, okay, but State, Arizona coaches, State didn't win? They didn't win anything. No, but they. I mean, they might just not have been good enough. Like the results don't justify the the process. Maybe like maybe the coaches they, they, they failed. They literally failed. So, sure. now you're, so now you're saying they're so bad that they couldn't even win when giving the other team fake information. I yeah. I mean, they they might. What if they're that bad? You know, maybe they are. I don't know. Because they still they went to like, a bowl game last year. What if that was the difference of winning four games versus going to a bowl game? I don't know. Because wow. otherwise, I don't I don't understand why they would do this. And that, that's just not cool. Uh, okay, last one. Stock is down on Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones said he would welcome a Dallas Cowboys quarterback controversy because it would mean Cooper Rush is winning. So, like, I get what he's saying here, but also probably not great when you just signed your quarterback to a mega contract last yeah. year. So Doc Pre- Dak Prescott stocks down, Cooper Rush stocks up. Yeah. So if you're looking to buy low, Cooper Rush, he's your man. Yes, he is. Sell now on Dak Prescott. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our sports stock market for the week. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we have some KU player audio. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.